0: Welcome to the 14th episode of Relating to DevSecOps, where we jump into the development, security, and operational issues of today with representation from different disciplines, professions, and specialties so we can solve real-world problems with people that face them. I'm your host, Ken Toller, and I'm joined again by our wonderful co-hosts, Simon and Jameson, who bring the appropriate product engineering and DevOps perspectives. I almost said DevSecOps perspectives, but you know that would make no sense. Uh, <laughs> the DevOps perspectives to DevSecOps. Now we've been on a bit of a break recently because we wanted to focus on bringing some more thoughtful content to the fold. And we've gotten some feedback that folks are looking for deeper dives into the high level of content that we've provided so far, which is perfect because that's exactly sort of where we want to take this, where we want to go. Um, We're also a little bit delayed and we're going to change the format a little bit, we're going to start posting every two weeks so that the three of us have time to dig into Topics a little bit deeper and get some more information from each other. Uh, that way, when we come to the table with a thirty-minute episode, we're we're ready to uh, talk uh, a little bit better about those those specific topics that we are generating. And again, if you have any topics you want to throw our way, obviously uh, send us via email or um, or tweet or whatever your favorite social media avenue is. Go for it. Uh, but this time around we're going to focus on infrastructure and policy as code uh, specifically on terraform and sentinel um, but less specifically the reactions trials tribulations from our perspectives in picking it up learning it using it in our day-to-day lives and delivering it in production now terraform is a very popular infrastructure as code platform um, that is, is probably one of the most popular used. I, I feel like I always have a conversation around Terraform or cloud formation. Um, but I, I, you know, I sort of want to throw this one to you, Jameson, to open it up. I mean, you're probably the most well-versed in this. Uh, are you finding success with it? Uh, is it something you use day to day? Um, so take it away on Terraform.
1: Sure. Yeah. So no, I mean, Terraform is a fun topic for me. Uh, I know I've said it before, Terraform is probably one of my favorite topics, add it to the list of my other favorite things, I guess, but um, it's kind of an interesting story, right? And I think a lot of folks are probably in a similar spot to where I see most people are today where you're kind of treading that balance of like, you want to use AWS services, but CloudFormation, uh, it's gotten a lot better. Uh, There were times where I think Terraform kind of became popular because of gaps in CloudFormation. And and that's kind of how I came into Terraform. I think originally I, I had played with it in like 2015. It was fairly new still um, at that time. And then um, and, you know I, I didn't start really heavily using it as a full replacement for CloudFormation until until 2017. But it, it's kind of an interesting history of infrastructure code tools because um, and and we'll get into. I know we've talked about the Cloud Development Kit before, and and you know t- potentially doing an episode on that. Um, but my, my reasoning for coming into Terraform was actually at the time I was using Trophosphere, which is, for those that aren't familiar, is like a generator for CloudFormation, right? Like you can write Python to create CloudFormation JSON. Um, and, and actually, I have, was using it at the time to generate Heat templates, which is something nobody knows what it is anymore, but it was OpenStack's version of CloudFormation. Um, and so, you know, having used it for that, I continued to use it for CloudFormation and, and then I, I was like, hey, yeah, this thing, Terraform is is a thing now, right? Let's check this out. And, you know, I had a lot of good uh, experience with it, but I was like, yeah, I'm using CloudFormation. I can generate CloudFormation from Python. So why would I change? Right. And then came to like 2017. I can't remember specifically what it was but there was just like a moment where we're like, we cannot do this in CloudFormation anymore. Like, like we're using Terraform, that's it. Like we're giving up on CloudFormation. Um, and, and now we're back to this hybrid world, uh, which is that I think a lot of folks are here where a lot of your uh, policy and, you know, more high level AWS resources that you want to ensure are applied everywhere, uh, you're pushing out through stack sets, and then um, you're using Terraform for you know, like the rest of your infrastructure. But you're kind of in this blended world now, where you're using CloudFormation for some things, like that you want to push out as part of like the organization's integration with stack sets, and then uh, Terraform for others. But um, I, I love Terraform. I've been, <laughs> I, I've been using it, you know, hardcore for a, about three years now. And I've learned so much in the process of the wrong way to use it and have retrained myself to the right way. Well, the right air quotes uh, way (laughs) of using it because, um, you know, there's a lot of books out there now on like, you know, Terraform up and running and, and all that. But I don't know that Anyone has agreed on the right way of uh, of using it, and every time I get into a new environment or I talk to somebody new about Terraform, you hear like a whole bunch of things, and you're like, "Well, that's a much better way of doing it." I wish somebody wrote that down, um, and and so I think it's still one of those things that's kind of evolving. And then, you know, as I mentioned, we'll we'll, we'll preview this and put a, a pin in it until we talk about it in greater depth. But um, but the CDK for Terraform is is like. That just brings me right back to like 2015 where I was like <laughs> writing Trophosphere and to, to replace, you know, actually having to handwrite write cloud formation. So you know that's been my experience at least with with Terraform and, and a pretty big fan, a lot a excited to talk about today.
0: That's awesome, man. I mean, it's it's interesting to like see your path into this, especially, you know, being in the industry for for that long. Um, I have like a much a shorter time span of which I was in, introduced to Terraform, but Simon, I mean, you don't deal with this on a day-to-day basis at, at all, I would imagine, unless I'm wrong. Are how I mean, how are how familiar are you with with Terraform, and is it something that you've seen in the real world, or is it like something you've sort of prepped for this episode? And if so, like, how has that journey been for you?
2: Yeah, until recently, um, which is, you know, one of the reasons why we've we took a little bit of time to record this episode, was I I actually haven't messed around with Terraform at all. Uh not in the industry. I've seen it used in companies, but I was never actively um, you know, editing configurations or or running anything. So this was a new experience to me. I I loved it. Uh it was super easy to set up. Um, you know, I I think especially with dealing with cloud, like there's a lot of properties and configurations and decisions that uh I'm I'm definitely uncertain of making and I, I, I don't really know the, the best way. So it's kind of turned into a really great situation and then a horrible situation because <laughs> I, you know, I got everything set up and then, you know, going through, you know, tutorials and stuff, they, they start listing you, you know, a few things and suggestions and what to do. And my brain immediately went to, um, you know, how other, how I handle other configurations, which is give me an example Um, so, you know, going to GitHub, going to Stack Overflow, I start copying things that maybe I understand, you know, 10%, 15%. There's some other properties that I'm skipping over, you know, I'll let future Simon think about that or, you know, that's probably just a good standard. And my, my, my fear and and my, my difficulty with using it, uh, I guess I wouldn't say difficulty because it was a pretty great experience, but the, the concept of, of having a template to me, I think is really useful because I want to make sure I'm doing the right thing and like. Having having a template to work off of, rather than, you know, going my own way and and searching for you know what might possibly be a good fit for me would be really valuable. And you know maybe that exists somewhere other than just random you know Google searches and and Stack Overflow and and you know what have you. But I, as a as a from coming from a product engineering perspective, that part was a little bit daunting to me. Got it. Yeah, I mean.
0: So Jameson, you know, for for someone like Simon that maybe is has not been involved with this since 2015, and even someone like me who's probably only picked this up in the last two years or so, uh, you you mentioned books on best practice and all that. Um, would you say that uh, I'm imagining that's from a um, efficiency standpoint, uh, and not necessarily a security or an or an engineering standpoint? What what are those books that you that were you found most helpful, or are there any? any sources that you would go to for uh, like to start today?
2: Yeah, no,
1: I mean, that's, I'd say that's the thing, right? There's a, there's a number of books that have been written as far as like similar, you know, to all your uh, modern technologies, right? Someone always writes a book, right? And, and yeah, it's a good primer um, of, of kind of getting into it. But I will say uh, in recent years, at least, Hashicorp's actually done a pretty good job of developing their, um, you know, like their learning platform and, and providing like these resources for free and, and providing, you know, kind of like call it your like hello world for Terraform of, hey, like let's spin up an EC2 instance or let's create an S3 bucket, right? And kind of walking you through that process step by step of like, here's everything from installing the tool to actually like running a Terraform plan. And then like, oh, hey, how's, here's how you do it on Terraform Enterprise in case, you know, um, you're so fortunate. Um <laughs> We'll go there again later, I'm sure. But um, but yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, Terraform up and running. And um, oh, man, I am drawing a blank, which is terrible. But there's a lot of um, grunt work, um, which is a company that uh, they've created a lot of really great tooling around Terraform to kind of fill in those gaps and create shims for things that are not um, that are not native to Terraform, or, or were not native to Terraform, like in the long, long ago. Um, I will say Terraform has come a long way. I think it was last year we got 0.12 which was a huge deal because it added conditionals and loops right which like I'm sure Simon's cringing right now like how can the <laughs> language not have these things um, but yeah I mean like I would say it's evolved a lot and and there's people like me that are so inundated with writing terraform for so long that like we haven't changed to 0.12 because oh it changes the syntax right um, so like I'm still writing 0.1114, um, in, in the hopes of someday migrating and, and please HashiCorp don't deprecate the AWS provider that's supported by 0.11, just not yet. Uh, at least not until after reInvent. Um, but yeah, so I, I would say there's a lot of really great material. There's tons of blog posts. A lot of people have talked about this. Um, but I guess I will say all that in, 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 in caveat that it changes so much and has changed so much. Um, that a lot of that older material just is not relevant, and I think that's one of the big difficulties for people that don't live in it day in day out is that it's ever evolving. And like, just look at the GitHub issues page; there are a lot of issues because it is so broad. Um, I would say you know they're fairly responsive to issues, but it's it's like one of those things where it's not uh, without problems. So that it, you, it does have a bit of a learning curve, just in the sense of like. Hey, I like I run terraform by default with debug logs on because when something breaks, I really want to know and not have to rerun my plan to find that out. Um, but yeah, I would say there's a there's a bit of a learning curve just because like it's really easy to use, but when things break, it's always some like archaic go issue or AWS API issue um, that is not evidently clear um, for whatever error that terraform may re- respond with.
0: you You had a lot in there. Um, that I that I really attach to uh, in my own learning experience of this, and y- you two may be surprised to know, based on our like how we learn episode, that this is one of the few things. Uh, I wouldn't say few things, but this is one of the things where I started in the documentation and like read through it and worked through it um, based on HashiCorp's guidance and documentation, and it wasn't necessarily. The video avenue or the audio avenue, because it was something that I really wanted to get the the deep dive of from the from the get go. And some of the things that you said really resonated with me, Jamison. One is finding relevant content that is not from Hashicorp is really hard. Like if you go to uh, if you try to find a book on this, or if you try to find um, you know some video on this, or you try to find a blog post on this, there's a very strong chance that it's going to be outdated by the time you get to it. And it might give you some concepts or ideas. And to sort of the Stack Overflow comment that, that, that you made, Simon, um, it might give you some snippets that just don't work. And so you really have to go back to the drawing board and go to the most current documentation if you're starting at this from scratch. Now, if you're starting in an organization, like you said, Jamison, where maybe folks are in the legacy platform and they're not ready to to move, a lot of that old content remains relevant for a longer period of time. But as a consultant now, it's like I always have to be sort of um, in the mix of all of this very, very fast on multiple versions and try to address the security issues associated with that across all of those versions. And then I'm still really... Sometimes trying to figure out like what the security concerns are for me in a particular organization for Terraform or for infrastructure as code in a general concept. So I can appreciate, uh, you know, hearing your journey kind of helps me determine like how I'm going to go back and attack that, you know, Um, really being specific about what versions I'm looking for within an organization or within um, like my own research. To try to determine, like, okay, how do I approach this based on a specific version of Terraform, and what resources I can use within those versions, and if I if I really wanted to do that um, from start to finish, I think that the the best way to do that in this case for something that is as fast paced as Terraform is to go straight to the docs, you know, to go straight to the straight to the source, so to speak, and look at that. Um, just riffing off of that for a minute though, is the best practice piece. And so my my curiosity to both of you is like, because there are so many opinions there, like how do you determine what's the best practice for your org?
1: I'd say experience, right? Like I, I would say Terraform is one of those tools that is so loosely defined and can be used in so many different ways that it's almost like what works for you right and and i would say this is this is a little bit of a soapbox but um some of the licensing around terraform enterprise historically has driven some of those decisions i've seen made they've changed the licensing since which like from a workspace based model to uh user based so that that does you know influence that in the other direction but i would say that the best practices that are outlined are not are hard to find, right? Like, there's you know, hey, here's like the best practice of how to use this resource based on the best practice of this resource from AWS, and like you can extrapolate from that. Like, this is how I should implement an EC2 instance, an S3 bucket, etc. But as far as like how should I segment my Terraform and, and how should I organize my, my resources.tf, right? My workspaces. Um, I would say it's loosely defined and, and like, I've seen it work in a number of different ways where, yeah, like, I give each dev team, you know, they have their own workspace, they work in there, right? And, like, that's, you know, that's safe because they'll only blow up their own stuff, right? And then on the other side of that, (laughs) I've seen every application has its own workspace and, like, I have 200 applications, so I have 200 workspaces and, like, yeah, they're all just paths in my S3 bucket to my state or to my, you know, whatever I'm using for my back into state console, et cetera, right? Whatever you choose. But, um, but yeah, it becomes one of those things where workspace sprawl is a real problem and getting that back ends up causing like almost brain surgery on state in order to, to reconsolidate. So I think it's a good idea to kind of think logically of how do I want to, how do I want to structure these things, but also how will these things be used? Right. So, um, I, I've always gone for the most workspace model because it lowers my blast radius to the least amount. But I think it is—it's largely up to like an organizational decision of what makes sense for the organization. Um, but it, as I said, it—you it, know—your mileage may vary based on your experience. But having that level of granularity of like all the way down to the application being its independent workspace and its resources tied to that is kind of my
0: um is my best practice i guess but so i'm just digesting it all simon do you have any immediate questions that came out of that
2: not, not not immediate questions i agree with jameson i think if you have a devops team you're in a good spot because you can work with them to figure out what your you know what your problems are and, and where they are but otherwise i mean if i if i was on an engineering team with no devops support yeah again it's all about expertise uh I would start out by again reading the documentation, making sure that this is something you need. look at the problems that you're trying to solve. You know, when I was messing with my terraform configurations, the biggest thing was all the validation and checks that were happening as I was writing all of these crappy terraform plans um, was super useful to me. And once that you know was in a good place, I can see, you know, hey, I'm having struggles with manual deployments. you know, these are the specific things in my infrastructure that I want to make sure I understand and have control over. Start from there. Uh, and then just grow and learn and, and read and and just keep building.
0: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned something that the, that hit home with me too, which is like the validations and struggles with that. And um, Jameson, this ties into sort of the licensing issue that you were that you were talking about with like how those that changes with HashiCorp. And like from from the security side, when we talk about infrastructure as code, one of the things that I like like I come at it with this perspective. Uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm uh, right now I'm an application security consultant, right? And so I think of it in that lens, but in previous lives, I've dealt with security strategy and infrastructure and going through all of that. So when I look at infrastructure as code, and the reason I love talking about it with you two is because it's, it marries like all of these Things together. And then my brain is just going into overdrive trying to think about what I need to think about. And it's like, how do I address the application security issues of this? And then how do I address the infrastructure that's being deployed by this? And how do I, you know, assure in the best possible way that everything that Jameson is adding from a DevOps side, um, to make our infrastructure like super fast and clean? How do I apply all the security practices I've been used to doing earlier in the process? So I have all of these concepts floating in my head about shifting left and trying to analyze the policy as code and trying to make sure that I discover the potential issues before they even get to production. And then, you know, you are looking at open source um like anal- you know analysis tools like TF scan or whatever it is and then HashiCorp releases Sentinel and you know there's all these things that you can possibly do, but you are faced with this like barrier of licensing for Sentinel where it's like in order to use it properly, you have to get enterprise and you have to pull down the mocks. And so I think it's like really hard as a security professional to try to like Figure all that out, especially as a consultant, because you know in o- the the barrier to entry there is either like an organization that's established in this right that ha- that's using it day in and day out, and so maybe you have access to these security tools, or you're like a grassroots organization that is really you know jazzed about automation and wants to deploy infrastructure as code, and maybe you have like five or six engineers, and you know. Simon is deploying all the infrastructure because, you know he's the best engineer in the shop, and he's going to like, you know, do all the things. And it's like trying to straddle those two types of organizations with the breadth of tools that are out there, plus add on all of the like best practice. and I'm no one can see me except uh, Simon Jameson right now, but that was air quotes, "Best practice for Terraform," is so hard uh as a as a security engineer and a lot of times you can feel like you're pulled in between these these two things and so um you two sort of coming at it from these different angles of discovery like you know simon you're talking about what the documentation looks like that you're appreciating the validations and it's like you really get into it very quickly right you're sort of like able to use it very quickly And then Jameson on your side, it's like, you already know how to use it. And now you're sort of driving into the enterprise and there's frustrations on the other end. So I feel like there's this like middle ground where security is always operating because you're always it's on some spectrum between those two types of organizations or two types of learning experiences where you're like, really either frustrated or trying to navigate like, What's the best open source tool? Because these folks don't necessarily have Terraform Enterprise. Or, you know, these guys have Terraform Enterprise. So what's the best way to operationalize Sentinel? You know, it's like there's like these very different problems with the same product that we have depending on like the size of the organization, the budget, et cetera.
2: I mean, all I heard is that you said Sentinel uses mocks and I I think I stopped paying attention. <laughs> <laughs>
1: rough I, I mean i will say that i feel that HashiCorp is stratified like their customer base based on like hey who's using open source who's using enterprise and i get that you know you need to market your software somehow and so like i, I know, you know sentinel can be used beyond terraform like it works in vault um, console right like right um and and the thing i will say though right is the open source community has not provided a one for one comparison to sentinel but um and i'm gonna say this and i don't we haven't talked about this yet or anything so i'm just looking for ken's reaction here but like open policy agent isn't bad right like opa is it's it's got its merits um it's not quite sentinel it's not as user-friendly rego uh which is like the markup language there is like Similar to Sentinel, which you're just like, what the hell did I just write or what the hell did I just read? Um, but well, I is hell. Like, do we have to flag this as explicit now? But um, sorry. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, like, and so I would say there is a future there, and I would say Sentinel today is maybe the gold standard, right? Where we say that Sentinel is the the easiest way, the fastest way to get folks writing like compliances code. But there are attempts in the open source, like OPA's and CNCF, right? like it will hopefully continue to evolve to a point in um it supports things beyond Terraform, like it supports Kubernetes, and there's a whole bunch of other things in there um that I haven't used, uh so they might as well not exist to me. Uh <laughs> people worked on them, so I appreciate them in either case. Uh but I, I would say that I would like the goal for the industry uh should in the community should be to create things that are feature compatible to these commercial offerings so that we can, everyone can use them. Right. Because right now we talk about a test pipeline and if we talk about Sentinel in that test pipeline, we're like alienating anyone that doesn't have a significant budget. Right. And so, um, you know, you talk about your test pyramid or whatever. Right. And, And ideally my, is part of that like my compliance tests would be part of that um and and just like the way things are today it's not achievable with sentinel just because of, for for everyone at least
0: well we'll get to the mock statement in a second but i do want to react to open policy agent rego like honestly i haven't used any in any real world scenario and i think that that it you know maybe that's on me right but um uh and rego i hadn't even heard of until you just mentioned it so you know, that's, that's fine. I think part of what we want to highlight is, you know, what can we draw attention to maybe to talk about in a future episode to research, dig into, but I think what attracted me to Sentinel um, was that it was easy to use, right? That you had, you know, there was this, there was, and, and that is the focus of that product is they want to make it as easy as possible for someone to pick up and write. um, It's kind of like Go, right? I mean, Simon, maybe maybe this episode will turn into your opinions on Go, but it's like Go is super easy to learn, you know? So if you wanted to start writing a script in Go or you wanted to switch from Python to Go, you're gonna get into a position where it's very easy for you to do that. And that's why it gains so much traction and popularity. Whereas if you start looking at sentinel and and you find that easy and then you go to opa you like you get to like page two before you're like how does it work (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it's and and that's and i think that's like the problem is that you have these these um Security engineers I mean and I'm just speaking from personal experience i don't I'm not really speaking from everyone's like security path into this, but from my perspective it's like what is the easy what's the path of least resistance to the most secure product that is going to provide me with the documentation that I need to learn the fastest and and that's just not there for OPA for me. But it is there for for Sentinel, especially if you're in a Terraform organization.
2: I I agree with you, Ken. I think there's a, a balance between when you're using a tool, the easier it is to use, likely the less control you're gonna have over that tool. And this goes with everything. This goes beyond Terraform. You think about, you know, code as a GUI or something like that. You know, clicks not code, it'll probably be easy. You don't need to be an engineer anymore, but you lose access to some of those things that you used to have access to. And so Eventually, usually, what happens is you start to have kind of these these backups and these these back doors where you have to now like almost reverse engineer what you just implemented to make it harder so that people can do specific really nitty gritty things and I feel like security is probably in the hardest boat for that so I mean if Sentinel is working for you, that's great that's not that i mean at least in my opinion that seems like a rare a rare occurrence on security side where it's delivering exactly what you're doing and it's it's pretty easy to integrate so a couple of things like the clicks not code thing
0: is a specific uh sas provider uh that <laughs> pitches that um where you know their conferences are a great time i will say that um but that I, th- I feel like we have to talk about sort of application there right it's it's like that is a specific way to to deliver a specific type of product, there's the availability for it to to reverse engineer it or to come back and start to develop something that's more complex And you realize, well, actually, we want to develop a custom app. Um, In this case, the only reason I think this works so well is that Terraform is such a popular product and Sentinel is designed for those products. Right. It's not like right. we're trying to really um so it's like Terraform is is building on the APIs that are offered to it. Right. Sentinel is applied to a specific product that's designed by the same company. Right. Whereas the clicks not code thing is very open ended, as in like we need to solve X problems in the like in a space where we sort of have the same idea we need to sell things or we need to capture customers or we need to do this or whatever and so it's like those scenarios are very like similar but not the same whereas terraform is restricted to the apis and jameson correct me if i'm wrong here but they're restricted to the apis that are offered to them by the providers that they are supporting and so it's like a much tighter knit thing than the abstracted clicks, not code.
2: Gotcha. Yeah. And the thing I will
1: say that, to your point, Ken, with Sentinel is that, like, especially when we start talking about testing Terraform code, right? Like, you're throwing a, a big book of requirements at uh, a group historically, right? Or a, a not even maybe a group, but like a discipline, which is, you know, building infrastructure that historically has not had that much scrutiny on it right like <laughs> testing is not something is not something that you know historically you've seen um and already with like even terra test right like you're expecting people to write go to test their terraform modules and you know right, right. so it's like you, you and, and you know depending on what level you're testing at, unit test, integration test, right? It's like there's a different set of tools for each. And like, sure, yeah, you can shoehorn certain tools to do all of them. But it's more of like, you're asking a lot out the gate as far as like, these are the things we need to do to test. It's not just like, hey, yeah, um, I'm going to just use my, te- my my one testing framework to do everything. Instead, it's like, I'm going to use this tool for unit tests. I'm using this tool for integration tests. I'm using this tool for my compliance tests, right, and and I, as I said, like this is a fairly new thing still. For and so for a lot of people, this is brand new. This is their first experience with, um, with testing and you know potentially even test driven development. I know test driven development and in infrastructure as code is getting to be a popular topic. <laughs> um, we won't go there because uh, I can already see Simon like cringing. um but but i mean yeah so i I think that we're asking a lot of of people out the gate and so when you look at something like sentinel where it's like hey we've packaged this thing that could be freaking terrifying and made it a lot easier and hey here's some reasonable documentation on which i will say when sentinel first came out there was almost no documentation it was like a github repo with a single example of like Here's how you use it, just figure it out from there. And you're like, what does this thing even do? Um, right. And so I'd say, you know, HashiCorp's done a good job since marketing it and building more documentation and training around it. But um, I would say that that's kind of the one advantage I, I see with Sentinel over OPA is like, OPA is just like a whole nother language um, or DSL that I need to learn. Um, in addition, and I, and granted Sentinel is the same way, but like OPA is much more open-ended. Um, and maybe that's on the community. Maybe we need to put out like, here's the way to use OPA with Terraform, which I, there are blog posts out, conference talks that talk about this, but you know, not to the same degree that HashiCorp has marketed Sentinel. Um, and I, they're they're both very useful tools. Um, I've personally been using Sentinel more because I have access to Terraform Enterprise, and you know, that's kind of that. But um, I definitely would like to spend a lot more time with OPA and, and understand. And especially because it also can be used, um, you know, to test like as code against Kubernetes, right? Which um, we can't say the same thing about Sentinel. So in the end, maybe that's what makes OPA the, the, um, you know, more uh, the, the better tool here. But it's, you know, we'll see.
0: You know. Well, this this is like what is driving this episode. I think for me, is that Simon, as a product engineer, you're probably always thinking about your users. Right. And how, how do I make this like easy for my user? And What's on a... a user? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jen would have your head. <laughs> uh, but and so and in Jameson, it's like you and I, you and I are the users here, right? So it's like there are these technical users that are maybe not engineers. And so that that line of like what you're offering as a as a product starts to like become more and more technical. And I think what HashiCorp has done a really good job of as a like what the barrier at entry for OPA is, is that they're starting at how do we make this as simple as possible for the user, which is maybe people that are technical, but are not developers or product engineers. And so we need to give them the ability to interface with people that are generating very technical infrastructure as code templates or code, that we need to provide them with a way to like generate these policies and audit this because the that is the problem is that typically your compliance officer will come to you or your security infrastructure security engineer will come to you and be like, these things need to be in place. And then you need to provide proof of that. And so if they were able to audit it quickly and they could deploy that policy, and they could be reasonably assured that, assured that they wrote it and they were confident in it, then your work to like produce evidence becomes so much less because now they have the ability to write that outright because they don't need to like learn Go or learn Python. They can just write it in Sentinel. And that's where I think we get to our next episode in CDK is that for more technical operators or for more technical people, you can provide like sort of more interesting or ways to look at this. And so it, it, it starts like what's exciting to me in the DevSecOps space for this is like we are blurring those lines a little bit more and more and getting people closer and closer to skill sets, even even and we're sort of like um, teaching them through example you know, for like trying to get less technical people into the tech and more technical people into the policy. And that from like the security perspective is really, really exciting for me. And I think I think that Sentinel is doing a great job there. And that's why these other open source tools haven't really gotten the traction because you need that technical ability to get there. Whereas with Sentinel, you don't.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said, right? And, and I also will say, the importance of compliance as code right regardless of what the tool is comes from this idea that you know we're democratizing infrastructure i've talked about this before and, you know your infrastructure i mean less maybe democratism I, i've called it infrastructure socialism even um, but <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's like yeah it's the idea of we're having folks that maybe aren't as aware of what cider blocks are like you know maybe they don't understand private versus public subnets and, and they're kind of learning these things as they get exposed to it. And so as part of that, we, we kind of want to provide guardrails, right? To make sure that no one, you know, drives the bus off a cliff and opens their S3 bucket to the world, right? Um, and so I think that that's kind of the, it's it's partially that these are good practices, right? Historically, you know, to audit these things, I have to go through an assessment. I got to like look at every working environment and say, yeah, are all of my S3 buckets private, right? And, and assess that. Whereas if I can do that as part of my SDLC, right, like that, yeah, I'm just, I still should be doing that assessment, no doubt. But it makes it so that when I do that assessment, it's less—it's it's less likely that I've missed something and you know something snuck its way into production. Um, and so I think that it, it's that's one of the great things here is that by not only providing this compliance as code and getting you know infrastructure as code more into The SDLC process. It also kind of opens up the world where you can grant access to provision things that maybe historically you might view as dangerous to to other folks that are have less awareness or less knowledge of these things because you have guardrails, right? Like it's safe. It's no no one's gonna do anything too bad, right? Like folks will always find a way to break everything, but that's just users. Um, But yeah, no, I mean, I think that that's kind of one of the other important aspects here is that because you know, pe- people that are like really seasoned and, and working in this stuff like why do I need a test for this right I know that I'm never going to open anything to you know 0.00 slash zero unless I really intend on it but you can't say that right because folks do things humans are random right and so like having these guardrails is important and it really kind of provides you that extra layer of assurance more importantly it provides your security team that extra layer of insurance. Thank you. <laughs> You're
0: welcome. <laughs> well, look, I mean, we're going to I mean, this is going to be a continuing topic, especially as we get into the more technical details of it. Um, but we're we're coming up on time and I want to be cognizant of that. Um, any final thoughts? I- I've talked a lot on this, but uh, you know, from my perspective, any final thoughts on on this from from you, Simon? Jameson just gave his final thought, I'm pretty sure.
2: Yeah, he's he's done for the night. <laughs> uh, no, I, I I just appreciate how easy Terraform is to use and how it lets me step into the world of infra and and policies for that matter without breaking everything. Because let's be honest, I I need those training wheels. <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool. Well, look, that sort of wraps it up for this episode. Um, in the next few, uh, we may sort of go back and forth but i think we're going to get into some of the more technical details of infrastructure as code maybe policy as code Uh, hopefully this has been um, a little bit more in depth and more what the audience is looking for if you have any additional feedback please feel free to reach out to us on twitter at r2dso or uh, email security at r2dso.com thank you for listening we always appreciate that and uh, we'll see you next time